Welcome to the Pilgrim's Digress. We are the Pilgrim's Digressing. I am the Reverend Zachary Bartles, and this is the sage one to my left, Mr. Sagacity. Very kind. Um, My mic keeps kind of slowly drooping. There we go. Um, So let's jump right into this. It is us digressing on vignettes, part two. These are from my own imagination. I imagine we will have a record low number of people tuning into this episode because they're going to be like, why do I care? Or maybe in a record high, because they'll be like, I don't know what you were trying to do. The and they'll be one, morbidly curious. The last one did really well, though. Really? Okay, well, that's good to yeah. know. Um, again, we have a mixture of me taking some oblique references to characters later and trying to flesh them out into a story. And some some stuff that's just whole hog, uh, the invention of my uh, caffeine-addled mind. So why don't we just go through them one at a time? I'm curious, your thoughts. I'm curious, um, we haven't talked about these at all. At so all. I'm curious if you will get out of them what I was hoping people would get out of them. Okay. Or if, you know, some of them may be... I think there's. It's more likely that they're too on the nose than mm. like too subtle, or or you're gonna miss the point. Uh, but you know what? That's the beauty of the allegory uh, genre is that it frees the author to be incredibly on the nose and not have to worry about pesky things like being, you know, clever, nuanced. Well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, we start with letters from the road. This is from a conversation you and I had. Yeah, I like the idea that. Well, he's on this journey. He's having to live with his family in some way, shape, or form. He's having to, you know, do life with his family. And it, and it um, uh, this reminds me of First Corinthians seven thirteen through sixteen, First Peter three one through two, specifically talking about living with unbelieving spouses, mm, right. staying with yeah. the unbelieving spouse because your conduct, right, can win them over. Right, um, uh, makes them holy, makes the kids holy. However, you're choosing to kind of interpret those texts, living as Christ inside of your own household, right? Um, Not just inside of an unbelieving world, but inside of an unbelieving household and being Christ to those people. He's providing for her. He's doing all of these things for her continually. And yet he's still trying to present the gospel to her. He's still trying to say, in the way that I'm providing for you, Christ has provided for me. So turn from your sins and repent, and you can come along on this journey with me, which is that great lie that she tells herself at the end of it all, where she starts to feel a little bit, con- you know, convicted. And then she says, no, 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 he left me. Right. He yeah. did this. Did he not I'd invite not you? I agree to this, yeah. Did he not invite you along? Did he not <laughs> beg for you and the children to please, please, please turn from destruction and turn to life and come to the wicked gate with me? And of course he has. He's writing you letters where she has enough ribbons to sort them up in her hair. I think that's a really, really beautiful image and thankfully not something that I've had to deal with. Yeah, nor I, married it, to an unbeliever. What a difficult thing that would be sure. to, to like have that. Like when you're married to a believer, when you screw up, you, you say, I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? And they are like, well, Christ has forgiven me for far worse. And so I'm going to have to, you know, it's not, it's not always perfect cut and dried like that. But with the unbeliever, I think you feel a far greater weight of like, when I screw up, instead of them saying, well, Christ has forgiven me, they say, oh, is this what it looks like to be a Christian like you are? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is how you talk to your wife? This is how you, you treat your husband? It is, you know, like this? And, and this is this is the reality of being a, a Christian, right? You are constantly kind of a model, a, a, a picture of Christ to the world, mm-hmm. uh, and there is some pressure on it. But even then, I think, when you when you fail someone or you sin against somebody— by being willing to humble yourself, you do continue to model, you know, for them the, the humility that comes with following Christ. I thought it was important for two reasons here. One, this is what you and I were talking about. I think we were, I think we were eating Mexican food and talking about this at uh, yeah. at that Los Tres Amigos place. No free shoutouts. Yeah, not a sponsor. No sponsors here. We're sponsor free. We're sponsored by Truth. <laughs> Remember when they ask Faithful what he wants to buy and Vanity Fair and he says we right. buy the truth? Yeah. Well, that's our sponsor this week. Truth. Tell them all about that. <laughs> we, that's what, yeah. what are we doing if not that, Mr. Sagacity? Um, but <laughs> we were talking about how like it seems when you read it that he did abandon her. He did abandon right. his kids. He's basically an absentee father. And people have done this. I was watching a... Like, this is so dorky. I was watching mm-hmm. a thing on Hulu about, like, 
the history behind well-known toys. Okay. And the guy who invented, I want to say the Slinky, at one point decided he was just going to abandon his family. He was going to leave his wife, leave his kids, and go to some far-off land with Wycliffe Bible translators and, and like, work on ministry. He slunk and away. He's, oh, yes. He slunk away in the daylight. Yeah. He didn't just, like, right. leave a, a yeah. you know, Dear Jane note or something. But he was like, if you if you want to sell the company, sell it. If you want to keep running it, keep running it. And she, like, crushed it by how she keep, kept running it. But, like, people have done that. I'm following God, and so that frees me to literally abandon my family. And that mm. is just reprehensible. Right. Uh, and so in this case where he really is – by all indicators, still present with his family. I thought it was nice to have just like a little picture of that, a reminder that outside of the allegory, he is still together with her. He's on a different spiritual journey, but he's still a husband and he's mm. still a father and, and all the rest. And then the other thing was, I felt like at the beginning of part two, it's just all too like settled already. There, there's no indicator that she's had any... She's almost immediately packing. Yeah. Yeah, right. She gets the invite. She's like, yep. oh, yeah, of course I'm going to do this. And yeah. you're like, well, what changed? And and I mean, one thing is getting the invitation. Perhaps this is a picture of irresistible grace and unconditional yeah. call and stuff. But also there has to have been some kind of struggling with it or she would have come with him already. It has to be a generation, right? Yeah. The, 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 some kind of illumination of her sins. Usually that's not instant. Sometimes yeah. it is, but usually that involves, yeah, you kicking against the goads, yeah. uh, to put it in kind of uh, acts language. So th there was those two aspects. It's, this is the shortest of all of these. It's just a little letter, basically probably a letter that has been lived out by every Christian who's married to an unbeliever mm. ever. Yeah. How easy it is to give into those lies about she's somehow the victim here. Even though if we kind of like reevaluate the beginning of the story, they kind of drove him out, made fun of him, laughed at him, were never yeah. there for him. She was very, very angry at him for being so downtrodden and sad and broken and this and that, um, where this is some kind of wrong being done to her, though, that yeah. you know, you're not the person I married. Kind of right, thing. and no matter what the case, I mean, yeah. whether you're an atheist, a Buddhist, a Mormon, a Christian, whatever, mm. if you get married and stay married for 20 years, the two people who got married don't exist anymore. That's right. part of the vow. Mm. So I, I think that's an unfair thing that she wants to do is, oh, you're, you've changed on me, yeah. so now I don't have to honor you and, anymore. And, and what's so negative about the change, too? I think that's what's interesting. Like, he's, he's more of a husband, Right. He's more of a provider. I think it's because he, he was more dour for a while before sure. he finds the way. And because it makes her think of her own right. you know, so, mortality, her own sin, her own standing before God. People don't like that. Yeah. Well, and then and then, and then to, to have those ill-favored ones playing on that, right? Whispering to her, assuring her that, yeah, she's, she's right to be angry. She's right to be mad. He doesn't have a right to pursue righteousness or anything. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm-mm. Uncredited punch-ups by Frank Peretti, by the way. <laughs> I, I barely even remember what the ill favor, other than that they attack Mercy and Christiana along the way early on in part two. I don't remember like their backstory, if it's given at all. Are these just like, I, I've done a lot with them. I've, I've, I've really been uh, milking that, <laughs> that particular yeah. udder here. But I think it's a fun... It's a fun udder. <laughs> you know. It's... <laughs> I, I, I couldn't ask for another, but, oh gosh, dude. Hey, it's it's all dads in this room. Hey, yeah. Dads <laughs> Baptist on dads, dads on dads. Inc. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, it, it's as a picture of just kind of everything that's going to hold her back. Hmm. And it's not all satanic opposition, but certainly there's going to be the flesh. There's going to be the world. There's going to be, even at the beginning of part two, her neighbors, one of whom is a real sweetheart we're going to meet later in the, the vignettes here. And they're all kind of braided. Even when she wants to, like, remember her husband to keep him close, I have her doing it kind of underneath in her hair because no one else will know. It won't make people say, oh, yeah, your husband. Yeah, how's that going? Weirdo. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, give us a little update on that. Still gone? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Has he reached that city yet and sent you back a treasure? Is right. that paid off yet? Yeah. I mean, this is going to be very far removed from my cultural setting, but... There's probably a lot of people who live in places where if your spouse becomes, you know, a born again, people are going to just keep going back to that well for jokes and to, to mock you and to imply things. And that would get old. And I could see someone resenting it. Mm. When I didn't make the decision, you did. It'd be like if someone joined a weird cult 
and they were married to a Baptist, right? Um, you'd be like, I didn't sign up for this. I, I get it a little mm-hmm. bit from their point of view. So the next one, and what I tried to do here this time was was very genre, just just for fun. Sure. Uh, if you don't know, I'm uh, I've been a novelist. I've I've had some stuff published uh, by Thomas Nelson, good old Tommy. Um, and that stuff has generally been kind of suspenseful, uh, and, and kind of supernatural thrillers. Oh yeah. So that's where we kind of go next, but I wanted to do like a, so there's kind of a bit of a love story maybe in the first one, mm. definitely kind of a, almost horror in the yeah. second one, some elements there. And then we get into some comedy and then like mm. a dialogue. So, you know, just trying to keep the chops up here. And yeah. I appreciate all of you, uh, letting me do that. So what were your thoughts on, wow, that's quite a name back to hell. Yeah. Back to hell. Back to hell. I like the contrite and compromise and to hold, right? Uh, I liked that not all of the attacks that are going to come to the Pilgrim are necessarily so inside of Vanity Fair, so out front. So, right. Yeah, there's know. a little bit of shrewdness involved, too. Mm-hmm. Theatrics, in, maybe. Even. In Galatians, I think it is, right? Paul talks about how there were deceptive brothers, right, who who snuck in to steal our liberty, Mm. right? Okay. And how they were pretending to be believers, right? They were just to sneak in and re-add works into salvation, to steal away our liberty, and how much guile it seemingly took. It took you like a while, right? You have to establish yourself inside of the Christian community, and you have to start being thought well of, and you have to have- first degree heresy. Yeah, you have- Planned, pre-planned. Yeah, yeah. Malice of forethought. You have to have the Christian talk and words down just enough to be accepted in and led in by the local elders and all that. And then you start slowly slipping in this works salvation, this thing that's going to bewitch the Galatians away from their first love to a a false gospel. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me a lot of that, you know, oh, let's just buy something small. You know, let's just buy and something innocent. Christian wanted to do that, but he had faithful there to stop Mm -hmm. him. This yeah. guy doesn't even think of it, but he has someone there to lead him down that. And it seems normal. Yeah. It just seems, all right, yeah, of course. We want to get out of here quick. This is the quickest way out. Yeah. Let's seems, do it. Isn't this better? Isn't this great? No. You know, we're making peace with the false gospel. This is not right. This is not good. So, you know, you know, there is a level of Vanity Fair, of this kind of market of false assurance, false salvation, where it's not always going to be abrasive and looking to persecute you and looking to throw you in the dungeon and martyr you. It's going to be, you know, through the back door. No, I'm your friend. Come with me. Follow me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah. buy something and sneak out. And then I'll slowly poison you. Yeah, we can agree together that this place is bad. Mm-hmm. So let's walk together. And then once we have that very broad common ground, I will slowly lead you off. I've seen this happen even very, very recently. I've seen this happen to people who I thought were solid Christians and to be slowly taken away back towards something very works driven. Mm. Um, you and I actually recently watched something like this happen uh, and it was heartbreaking. And it can happen because of the the truth behind the uh, old untrue sermon illustration about the the frog in the kettle, right? Well, there's you know do you know the frog sermon illustrations? There's two that are very very prominent. One of them is about two frogs fell in a bucket of cream. Ooh. I'm saying it like walking because it's yeah. also a walking line in in uh, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, and and one of them just drowns, and the other one kicks and kicks and kicks and turns it into butter and jumps out. Uh, and then uh, the other one is about the frog. Um, I guess there's some horribly cruel, awful scientist who boils water and then just tosses a frog in and it jumps right back out. And then he puts a frog in cold water, slowly turns it up, and the frog is so dumb it doesn't notice and just boils alive. Okay. That's, uh, by my understanding, I've not done any of these experiments. I'm an animal lover, but uh, sure. uh, I understand it's not true. But the the truth it's illustrating is that if you just turn it up by degrees, and I think we've seen lately um, in the last 20 years in pop culture and uh, American culture and Western culture and church culture, that people will laugh at your proclamations of where we're headed. They'll mm. say, this is, you're, you're using a slippery slope fallacy. It's not going to go there. All we want is this. And within 10 years, the very thing that the church said, careful, this is where we're headed, will happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nobody says, yeah, I admit we were doing that. Or, yes, I admit that now when I say, you silly person, that's slippery slope, I have no credibility. 
Because last time we went exactly the place. No, it's like when some TV preacher will say Jesus is coming back on March 9, 1988 or whatever, and it doesn't happen. And all of his people keep watching his TV program, hmm. right? Like, like the culture is like that guy. Yeah. They, they keep on moving goalposts, keep just a step at a time. Here's just, just increase a little more of the, the poison, a little more, a little more. And no, we're not poisoning you. No, we're not going in that direction. We're we're walking in the same way. Mm. And I think that the exit from Vanity Fair being what they have in common, I mean, there are so many things now, right now. There, there are probably 50 subreddits right now that a Christian could say, oh yeah, I, I'll walk arm in arm with those people about this. We want to defeat human trafficking. Uh, we want to we want to overcome pornography. It's bad for for humans. And yet when you get a few steps beyond that, we're no longer walking arm in arm and discernment has to come back up. Yeah, well the uh Hebrews 5 solid food is for the mature for those who have their power and discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Mm. Uh, if we're not constantly sharpening that discernment you know, trust but verify kind of right. living of saying that, oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. But I'm also going to look for your works. I'm also going to look for your fruit. I'm, I'm also, also going to check this against the scriptures, the scriptures. Berean style. Yeah, yeah, because I know that the times are deceitful mm -hmm. and evil and increasingly so. And the time for good work is short. That's a reality that every Christian needs to get, I'll say comfortable with, but be aware of and say that this is this side of heaven for us. We need to be... Uh, as harmless as doves, but as true to serpents mm -hmm. and be very, very sharp on our thinking and our thought before some of this stuff can pull us away. Because inevitably, when it pulls you too far away, it gets really, really, really hard to get back, which is, uh, which is one of the things I liked in the story about turn away, is that mm -hmm. godly affection has a hard time walking because his limbs have atrophied. That can happen to us so quickly if right. we get comfortable in that level of on discernment about who we're listening to, who we're sitting under, who's preaching to us, our scripture intake, our prayer life. And then when we get convicted and it comes time to start trying to get into that again, you know, you're on shaky legs again uh, because yeah. it's hard. It's hard to get back into some of that stuff. That's, I mean, that's a, a very fitting analogy. My father was bedridden for three months yeah. and he went from having the biggest, strongest calves I've ever seen. Dad yeah. calves, like calf goals. Maybe you got dad calves. Oh, well, that might be every time you're wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah. Cargo shorts, specifically, yeah. 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 Um, the, the cargo shorts actually make them pop more. But uh, it, was, it was horribly sad to see in the course of being bedridden for three months, went down to, I mean, nothing. You'd think this mm. is someone who had been a quadriplegic for 30 years. Right. It, it, it blew my mind and, and made me like think, wow, we're like we are constantly, even though we don't realize it, working out, building muscle, any amount of resistance, even gravity. You know, it's, yeah. it's constantly and we don't realize it. And I think the same thing is true in the Christian life. It's such a fitting picture because, you know, you're in prayer here and there. You're in the word. You're you're coming together with the saints, even on days where you're like, well, that was less than. You know, mm. I, I didn't see the clouds part and the beam of light come down, whatever. All that stuff keeps you strong and strengthens you and builds you up. And you stop doing it. And like immediately your muscles start to atrophy for sure. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a dangerous thing to do because then you are an easy target. Yeah. How are you going to get away? From the mm. enemy. I mean, yeah. you're, you're going to have to just cry out for help and, and trust that God is going to come and, and rescue you. I would also like just your, your opinion as a discerning reader of, uh, you know, dystopian horror yeah. and thrillers and that sort of thing. I know you've, you've recommended to me some things that seem really out there. This isn't really mm. out there. So it's going to seem a bit pedestrian probably to you. But you see what I'm doing here with the allegory. How do you think it worked to have these like goat-legged guys did you see, see it coming that this was going to be his brother and that he was, when he talked to his twin brother or was it, or was it a good twist for you? Well, I mean, like, I mean, like, I'm like, I, the, uh, the thing with the boots, like right off the bat, as soon as I read the word boots and you kind of highlighted that, I was like, uh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Uh -huh. He's hiding something here. Uh -huh. All right. I highlighted the, the part where I don't remember if he's just been drugged for the second time and they're sleeping outside and like out of his vision as it like fades out, he sees him right take off like set up camp take off his clothes and like dance around the fire mm -hmm. it's a very very demonic 
image. Dancing in the fire. Yeah, in, yeah. Even like even inside in in the fire. Yeah, very, very demonic image where you go, oh, okay. Yeah, Super yeah. creepy. This stuff, is what I this hope. guy. Yeah, this is Hopefully what this guy is about. I I read recently. You ever? This is kind of sad. Go back and, and read your own blog. But uh, I, I, for some reason, was on my website changing something. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder what my, my most popular blog posts are, having not blogged in, I don't know, four years or something. Um, and the, the top three, actually, were all like me, like really snarkily reviewing horror movies. Or not, so not horror movies, supernatural type movies. So I've got like Constantine... You know, um, the devil's advocate, the prophecy stuff. And and the number one was um, Insidious, which I okay. thought was an absolutely just dumb movie. Yeah. Did you see that? Uh, no, but I watched like a little 10 minute breakdown of it. Okay. I, I kept Seems waiting like for it to of... get so scary because everyone was like, I couldn't even finish it. It was so scary. I was right. I like clawed my boyfriend's hand and, and I was like, you, you showed too much. Like mm. early, early on when she's just describing and drawing the creature, sure, that was scary. Right. The moment that he just like is suddenly there, I'm like, that would have been scary if I didn't see it infinity times in the, the trailer before I saw it in the context. <laughs> but then right. once he's like, it's like, oh, it's Darth Maul. Mm. Oh, when he listens to Tiny Tim, well, he's like at home at night sharpening his claws for his next attack on a phonograph. It was so dumb. Anyway, I mocked the uh, fact that he had goat legs. I'm like, that's such a cliched, like, like uh, medieval approach to like the demonic. And then I'm like, oh crap, I just did this myself. Just did it. Yeah. I don't know. I think it fits the Bunyan setting uh, pretty well. And, and like what a 17th century Puritan would think of when they thought of the demonic. They would, they would definitely have these like broad visions of witchcraft and, you know, wizardry and, and things that, that were definitely going on in the corners, you know, and, and probably would be in favor of burning said people. Hmm. <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, how you ended it. Uh, mm, by the, with, the, with the braining, you gotta get, you gotta get brained at you gotta some get, point. Well, any good story, every good story that I've ever read, <laughs> true or false, has had a good braining in it. <laughs> Um, Honestly, though, it being really brutal is the point, Yeah. right? Because with compromise, if you give it an inch, its very nature is it will take a yard, it will take a mile. And the only way to deal with the flesh and the world and the devil is just to take that mallet. And like he says, when he's like helping him with the tent pegs, you can't hit it from, you know, you got to hit it head on and act like you're trying to destroy the thing. And that's how you, you got to just smash it. You've got to uh, curb stomp the flesh and compromise is our worst enemy. And in a world now where being willing to compromise the core doctrines of your faith uh, to kind of appease the culture is the high watermark of sophistication Mm. and being a big sweetie. I think it's all the more important as much as we are slow to anger with and love people. We have to be quick to anger, slow to speak and negotiate uh, and just really quick to to murder the, mm. the flesh. Mortifying the flesh means putting it to death. Yeah, well, it, it, and, and you know, we um, we kind of joked around about the obvious connection here to, um, what is it, Jayal and Judges, you know, tent peg through the head. One of my, one of my heroines, that, yeah. Solve that situation real quick. You know, here's yeah. some milk, go to sleep, and then I'm going to drive a tent peg through your head until your head is pinned to the ground. And then, well, yeah. here you go. Here's, you know, here's the enemy you were chasing, uh, you know, accomplished, dead. And, and the fact that, you know, we're all following the king's lead here, crush the head of the snake, demolish that sin. Brutality Just, towards yeah. sin should be something that we're very, very comfortable with. Let's, you know, mortify the flesh. Let's, more, you know, you know like be, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Yeah, um, Owen, yeah. Get, you know, get, get comfortable with that wartime mentality that, we all need to have because we are at war now. Yeah, um, we're peace at peace and, rest, and we're at war. <laughs> you know, peace and rest though is future thought, right? We get, to, we, we get to think of our king and we get to think of resting and we get to think of no more tears and no more pain and no more temptation to sin. Now, now is the time that we're looking for any semblance, any holding on of sin in our, in our beings and eagerly putting it to death. Not looking to hold on to it or make nice with it or tame it, as we talked about the other week, where we're going to treat it like an animal. And if we feed it irregularly, we can kind of live with it 
for yeah. a period of time. Yeah, yeah. You can play with it. You can pull it out, put it back in the cage. Keep it emaciated. The yeah. the sweetest old ladies in every church that are that are really holy saints that are praying people. People like I think of a woman named Helen Meyer at the church I grew up in. Probably the most vicious, sin killing sadist you could ever imagine. <laughs> That's how she became so holy. Right. And I think it's it's odd to think about because being gentle and kind outwardly with your fellow man yeah. is killing sin. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an odd uh, paradox, but the Christian faith is entirely made up of mm. odd paradoxes. Yeah. This reminds me of a Ryle quote that I saw illustrated by Reftunes. There he is. Uh, I love Reftunes. Um, it's, it's a picture of Spurgeon, and in his mind, there's an old Spurgeon guy with his beard sleeping, resting, a little butterfly flying around him, and right next to it, the same guy in a sword fight with some mm-hmm. kind of uh, a devil. And the quote is this, a true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, but war within. He may be known by his warfare as well as by his peace. And I think that's, yeah, the, the paradox. People don't like a, the idea of a protracted war that goes on and on and on, though. That's the Christian life. Mm. If you're not ready for that, you're not ready for this pilgrim road. I well, mean, it's, it's part of counting the cost. Christ did not come to just bring peace. He came to bring a sword. And, right. and, and, and not only between family members, which is obviously the, the context of that verse, right? I, I'm going to separate these different relationships and things. But I mean, also to your everyday life. Now, the next one may not have any conversation required at all in that it was just kind of a ha-ha thing. Mr. and Mrs. Timorous are back together mm. in part two. We do learn something about what happened to Mr. Timorous. Right. And Mrs. Timorous plays a pretty decent role in the the first act as one of these shrillish, shrewish. Horrible. Yeah. Really bad neighbors. Horrible, horrible person. um, Who doesn't want her to leave, doesn't want her friend to leave, and is going to do everything she can in kind of this busybody way to to kill her desire to go on pilgrimage. So I thought it'd be funny if we got just a little glimpse inside their their household what would it look like for these two they do live together they do share a home and it seems that mercy is pretty good friends with mrs timorous even though mrs timorous is very catty to mm. <laughs> to miss to christiana so what were your thoughts yeah, on the well, on the topic here was there anything of spiritual significance here or, or well, not <laughs> I, I i i think it's no wonder that mr timorous is Running away from the lions, right? Oh, right. Horrified, terrified, um, and 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 just just how I think kind of significant that is for someone that's even going to attempt to try to live the Christian life. Risk is right. You got to lose your life to find it. Yeah. You got to be comfortable with with the sacrifices of safety, and and these are people that aren't even willing to begin to broach that subject. I won't leave my home because I might I might get harmed. I won't I won't I don't go at night because there might be brigands. I don't go during the day. I go during the day I might get run over. Right. <laughs> let's uh, just stay home and eat. And right. So like let's let's stay focused on ourselves completely, even though there's yeah. somebody else who's in pain that mm-hmm. we've seemingly agreed to provide food for because that's what's right. And you know, that's mercy being mercy is there saying, well, why aren't we providing so something for, you know, this, you know, poor man? And they're so concentrated on their own safety and their own perfect castle as though nothing wrong can happen in your home. Right. Yeah. You definitely um, can't keel over here. Yeah. The roof couldn't collapse. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. It's very silly. And you know what it reminds me of? That John Piper thing that went kind of viral because people didn't understand what he was doing when he was talking about retirement. You remember this? It was years yeah. ago. Uh, and he said, like, the world tells you, buy a big screen TV, get Netflix, hunker down every night, and just enjoy your retirement. And and he went on to basically say retirement was was of the devil, and then went back, and, and it, that was, you know, that was the hook. Hmm. And people didn't let him define it. What he was saying was, sure, retire from your work. Sure, enjoy the fruits of your labors, but never retire from following Jesus. Yeah. And, and you know, use the time that you now have at your disposal to bless hmm. people and, and glorify God's name. It was spun to be like anti-older people. And I think it was incredibly like hmm. uh, affirming of how 
foundational to the church. Uh, you know, these mature Christians who now have a lot of time and resources that yeah. they can give. Um, and and I think of somebody like Mr. and Mrs. Timorous as, as embodying what he was talking about in mm. this, like, okay, now we can just sort of sit back. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, whoa, amuse ourselves while we wait for death. Yeah. Right? Uh, at the cost of genuinely loving your neighbor. That can get scrapped. That can get thrown away. Or maybe, or maybe if the person in grieving will come to me. Maybe then, right? Maybe I would um, invite them in, but maybe they're sick. They could be sick. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They, 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 so, I'm not visiting a hospital, that's for sure. Right. Because, you know, yeah. what if I, yeah, what if I catch something? It is the opposite of the gospel, I think, to act and to live a life like they're living their lives. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for um, sure. Um, risk is right. As Christians, we should be willing to risk an awful lot for it's, our king. Yeah. It's hard to imagine anyone more completely embodying the guy in Jesus' parable who just buries the talents, mm-hmm. right? They're just they're just at home, so it's not. I mean, it's buried in their home. Mm-hmm. You know, any anything they have, it's it's like, well, I can't lose it. I can't risk losing it. I've got to just sit on it. Well, and that frees me up to drink and gamble and live my own life and make an excuse later. I didn't know you were coming back. Yeah. Well, and I heard you were a hard master. I said, That's why I did the one thing that would really anger yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> And I think you can see here also one more thing of note, which is that mercy is not yet a pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Mercy is still merciful. Mercy is still the thing that defines her. This isn't a new name she gets at the place of deliverance. And there is such a thing as common grace. We all know people who are so kind that are kinder than your average church member, mm. but aren't believers. And if people's theology doesn't have some you know, category for that, and it's all presented as we're really bad and really nasty and really awful. And then we come to Jesus and he makes us really kind and really sweet. Um, I think that it's going to fail to reach a lot of people because it's not going to match what they see in the world. There are mercies everywhere. I, I know so many of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. Being tempted sometimes as a Christian to not value you know, the input of everyone in an area. Right. Because, well, you don't believe the same thing that I believe. So what value could you be to me? You right. Know, well, yeah, how could you know something? they are keeping how could us you, all yeah. alive um, <laughs> with, you know, their talents and running water and yeah. hospitals and, you know. Yeah, if there was a reverse rapture one day and everyone who wasn't a believer <laughs> disappeared, I think the world would start to des- devolve into chaos. Thankfully, there wouldn't be murder on the streets because only the saints would be left. So we would hope they would care for each other and, and house each other. And, t- and, and But, I mean, yeah, much of what makes this world habitable and even the use of the law, first use of the law, according to the reformers, is the, the restraining of the full kind of rage of the sinfulness of, of men so that there is a police force in our town so that everyone can't do every sin they want to. Mm-hmm. It holds them back. Second use of the law then is they're convicted of sin and are saved. Third use of the law is how they will live after they're saved. And to ignore common grace also ignores that first use of the law. Mm-hmm. I see in your eyes you have something clever you want to say. Well, and I really want to know what it is. I don't know. I don't know if this should get put out there, but it's just, I never thought about that, like, a reverse rapture is essentially just post-millennialism. <laughs> like, like, it's the inevitable end of it. <laughs> just everyone slowly kind of being Christianized and being saved, and then we're kind of just redeeming the world. And then it wouldn't be we, as exciting of a movie, but but I think you might be onto something. You know, just people are just everything's just getting better <laughs> through birth pains. Sure, sure, you know, is slowly, slowly, slowly. But we I have mean, nothing but love and respect for our our post millennial brothers. Oh, and sisters. Stang? Okay. Oh, it's Stang for all sure. Right. That was that was it's too kind clever of just an interesting. <laughs> I never thought about that, but all right, yeah. Oh, I wish man. I could be that hopeful. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, me too. I don't. I don't know. Um, I've. I don't know how the Second World War didn't put the final nail in the coffin of that. Not, let alone everything that's happened since. But okay. well, yeah, I think typically it's right. To nor- normally, the explosions and I don't know how much we'll talk about eschatology. Eschatology. Welcome to eschatology yeah, weekly today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think normally it's tied to like explosions and in 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 Christian growth, right? 
first great awakenings, people like Edwards and stuff like that were all post-millennial. Um, some of the reformers. Yeah, well, when get, things, get it makes sense that when things seem like, like oh, they're going in the right direction. Yeah. And and I mean, like when, like, when post-millennialism really was, was surging in early uh, colonial American history, it was not only the church and missions where yeah. it looked like we're going to reach every single soul, you yeah. know, with this new missions movement, but also even like medicine, like break quality of life, solid, yeah, scientific yeah, breakthroughs. People aren't, you know, yeah. babies are are less and less and less likely to to die in childbirth and infancy. It, and, and you go, well, yeah, this makes some sense. Uh, the the amillennial view, which is what I hold to, uh, makes room for that. And for then the birth pain that comes mm. and, you know, the wheat and the chaff growing up side by side. You know what, yeah. though? If you got Jesus coming back at the end yeah. with a sword in his hand, there you go. I got no beef with you. I think it's just fun to discuss. I, yeah. I really don't gatekeep on eschatology. Yeah. I think that's a silly way to go. The I worst, know you don't either. The but. worst way to go, yeah. Um, okay, let's let's move on to uh, turn away of the town apostasy. Now, speaking of horrible things that would completely dash any sense of postmillennialism mm. I might have, this is the main thing that I had just finished writing that I lost all at once. Um, oh, and that just disproves it right there. Right That's there, that wouldn't yeah. have happened. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I think that rewriting it, it wasn't as good. I'm just going to say that. I think hmm. it was better before. It, that's lost to all time. This one specifically, you think that turned away from this the This one, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I I think that this is a great example of um, of of Psalms 1 and the, the warning that we have there of not sitting down in the seat of, you know, in the midst of scoffers, mm-hmm. um, because of all the dangers that that leads to, especially when we're one either not equipped to give an answer for our faith, even though seemingly the people at the end of the story are ready to give an answer, yeah, and then silenced, um, or it's just not really what you want, which seems to be the case, right? It's he he wanted their arguments because he didn't really walked away. He didn't really love Christ. He was a quick study. He learned well. He's a probably a really good example of, you know, the seed that springs up quickly and learns all that it can and yet runs away as soon as it's promised money and sensuality. Right. Or but, the worries and cares of the, yeah, world, the world start to choke it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is one of the reasons why for the righteous, we don't sit. We don't entertain the thoughts. We don't leave the narrow way, even with these ridiculous concepts of well, this is for evangelism, right? Right. You know, yeah. you know. We're going to go engage culture. That's why we're going to go yeah. watch this movie yeah. or we're going to go to this location yeah. where we know it's going to be. And I do know people who have gone to festivals or something where they knew there would be a lot of drugs and stuff sure. like that. They were very, very secure in their faith. They weren't struggling with any of the sins that were going to be on display. And they were there specifically to proclaim the gospel. That takes a particular kind of person. It's not something you do on a whim like this, especially when your real motive is I'm hungry, <laughs> right? Yeah. You've got some other motive and you're like, well, let's just, let's toss this as evangelism as the the bandaid on, you know, this festering kind of concern about whether or not this is wise. Well, it's, it's, it's not something you do with a new believer, right? A new convert. I think that some of the reasons why new converts are prohibited from holding church offices is because you're a brand new convert. You need to right? be taught right now. Yeah. 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 You know, you, you're, you're eating the milk and, you know, you need to get to the point where you're able to move on to the meat. You need mm-hmm. to be not laying again, as Hebrews 6 says, on the foundation, right? You need to be building on top of that foundation, not on these elementary doctrines of Christ and of washings and of eternal judgment. You need to have those solidified, right, for yourself. Yeah. Wait, wait for the con- concrete to cure yeah. of the foundation that you're yeah. right, right? And then you can start building. And uh, you know, this is what happens with famous people when they become Christians and they're mm-hmm. immediately thrown in the limelight. I hate it because you know they're this is what's gonna happen. They're gonna mm-hmm. hear some arguments, they're gonna hear they're gonna hear the siren song of their old lifestyle and all the stuff that comes with it. And it's gonna be bad for them and for everyone who put all their eggs in that basket. And and it's probably not wise also for the person that's just come out of a particularly a long period of backsliding right, and right. spiritual coldness or deadness or depression where, you know, you know, what tool, I mean, this guy just got his legs back. Yeah. Take a beat, man. <laughs> right. Let's find something to eat along the way. You know, you could um, teach, but teach 
somebody who's asking to learn. Mm. If you're if you have the ability to teach and you have and you have the calling to, don't go out there and immediately say, "Oh, I got to find like the the boss to fight." Right? Yeah. I mean, y- start small. And now we we should mention this is uh Turnaway is somebody who does show up in the Pilgrim's Progress. It's very brief. While traversing the enchanted ground, Hopeful and Christian see a guy and we're, I'm going to I'm going to have this happen and they'll discuss it as they do in the book. But they see him with his face downcast and seven demons dragging him through this door that goes like straight to hell and uh, on his back. And we already talked about this. How I think this is the sloppiest moment in the whole allegory. He's like, how can I show that this guy's an apostate? Oh, I know. Someone wrote it on a piece of paper and pinned it to his yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> so instead, I have it uh, branded to his back, which I think is a lot more uh, kind of impactful. I hate that word, but impactful way mm-hmm. to, to present this. And it also then pre- presents this as the back story. Yeah. Get it? I, oh, there was a oh, little yeah. pun in there? No, yeah. It was a little pun. We're folding today. Um, yeah. So so they, they say, like, I know this guy. Oh, yeah, I heard of this guy. I think that might be Turnaway, the town apostasy. Uh, and I thought, give him a little backstory. And I, I'll tell you what, I was feeling I was feeling quite hopeful. I told our Patreons, uh, subscribers, and I think I mentioned just a minute ago, um, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've, we've had a big gap here because my, my father got really, really sick and then passed away. And after that... I've been going through some of his notes mm. in his Bibles and his reams and reams on sermons and mm. the Bible, going all the way back to when I was a kid and before. And That's beautiful. Honestly, I've been, I was just feeling really hopeful about the fact that this, and he told me when he was near the end, I said, how's your faith doing like right now? And he said, oh, this is all just strength in my faith. Mm. The fact that at 69 years old, I am, you know, I have stage four lung cancer and I'm, I'm near the end of the road. And I don't know, there's something so hopeful, even though it sucks, in that. And I was that's why I think I had this guy we'd abandoned, who's referenced briefly, this guy named Linger After Lust. He's referenced yeah. just in passing by Mr. Greatheart. He's one dull and... Uh, Linger After Lust and one other were taken aside mm-hmm. by Simple Sloth and, and uh, Presumption. And so I gave him a whole backstory in Vignettes Part 1. Um I think that was my favorite one in that in that first batch of vignettes I, because it just it it worked on both levels perfectly and the two levels kind of you know just mushed up to into each other as an allegory and as a and as a just a straightforward narrative and then for some reason I thought why can't this guy why can't this guy overcome this mm. I think he can I think if somebody comes along and especially in a story full of like muscular men with swords. If a mousy haired older woman comes along and says, you don't belong there. Yeah. And he goes, oh my, and she rescues him from, from that. What a beautiful picture that would be. And then the kind of counterbalances this turnaway story, which is kind of, it's not hopeless, but for him it is. He, he, mm. He's hopeless now. Um, and so bringing him back into it and giving a backstory for turnaway was my, my motivation here. And, Again, I thought it w- it worked better the first time around, but it it also to me reminded me of a lot of people I've known hmm. who I thought were, you know, they were the rapid growth, the the shoot right up, the people I would have thought I need to ask them how to deal with this situation. Hmm. They need to be mentoring me, that kind of thing. And the next thing you know, eh. Right. I've heard some of these, you know, I and I know everything you're going to tell me. Don't, don't talk to me about that stuff. We both know I know anything you could say to me. I know the Bible. I know it all. So forget it. It's the, I think, I think a great example of the Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 problem, right? How are you going to bring that person back to repentance? I know everything. I know yeah. all these doctrines. I've tasted of the good things. I've, I've, I've sat under biblical, true, honest, deep preaching. I felt some conviction, but yeah. now that conscience is seared and it's scar tissue. Now yeah. what? You're not bringing me back again to repentance. It's impossible to yeah. bring me back to repentance because there's nothing of the gospel that you can offer me that I haven't explored, tasted, peered at, yeah. at all. There's nothing. Now he's overstating because he, he's a fairly new convert anyway. Sure. Yeah. And this often happens, I think, when the honeymoon kind of wears off on a Christian and they hit those first trials or that first dark night of the soul or the first kind of just, 
oh, it's humdrum now. It's not all new. Mm. Uh, and someone comes along with, in fact, you, we watched that movie last night, um, The Jesus Revolution, uh, and, and Greg Laurie was kind of the main character. And that happened with him. Like he was into drugs and then he, he this is not doing it for me. It's, it's just hopeless. And then he turns to kind of this Jesus stuff and starts to think, yeah, but this is probably going to run out too. Mm. And it doesn't. But yeah. for some people, if they treat it that way, it will. I don't know if he's in the iron cage or not. I don't think you can know. He can know probably. And, and when, when hopeful and Christian talk about his situation, they go in depth. We'll see that. I'm going to try and, you know, just update the language a little so it's more understandable, but keep the conversation exactly as it was because they talk about how people start to just fiddle with little sins and then bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and I didn't really have room to show that with Turnaway. Instead, it's just some arguments coming his way and he lets himself get one over. But when it's sin, mm. and so you have to be kind of strategically boxing out and blocking out the conviction of the spirit for mm. a time and searing your conscience. Do you want to get locked in an iron cage? Because that's how you get locked in an iron cage. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the entire entire seriousness of this warning here and that and that the again not using the tools that god has given us you know we talked about this as the giant despair captures uh christian and hopeful that they should have fought here they should have used these tools mm -hmm. they should have never have left with him they never should have given up to him right here why not let these people that are wiser than you in the faith talk right why not yeah. let them speak up and offer argumentation because they have things that they want to say He's they gotten a big rebuttals. head, though. They've called him the yeah. leader. He's kind of taken it on his. Oh, let's we'll, we'll just hear him out. That's mm -hmm. that's what makes people take Christianity seriously. Is if we just we listen entirely hmm. and maybe even don't say anything back, and then they respect us. Yeah, maybe there's some of that in it. I don't know. It's yeah, not using the resources that we have in their proper places or to our advantage. Right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lead these people off the path because I'm hungry, and that's and that's always the best thing to do is lead the narrow way. Right. Leave the narrow way just for a time, just for a thing, because the king wanted it, right? Maybe this is a maybe this is a place that the king created. Yeah, it's like a, like a little it? stop on the uh, what do they call this oasis on the on the turnpike? Yeah. Well, well, then why did you have to go off and there's no sign and there's no and then when you do see a sign, it tells you that you're on the way to apostasy, mm. literally, and you just yeah. go, yeah, but we're not going any further than this. We already came this far. May as well have a little grub. Yeah. May as well engage some people. It's more compromise, I guess. I guess this is yeah. this is compromise in another form. Mm. And you gotta and you gotta smash it with the hammer. You gotta stab it through. There was a, th a trend, and and this sounds like some something to discuss when we talk about Heaven Quest, Pilgrim's Progress, that movie. Um, but there was a trend for quite a while after the Lord of the Rings was so popular, which was like find like a Grimm's fairy tale or some kind of, you know, fairy tale type situation or Aesop's fable or whatever, throw some crossbows and swords in it, make everyone dirty. And it becomes Lord of the Rings again, right? Like, mm. like uh, Hansel and Gretel are witch hunters or, <laughs> you know, Snow White yeah. and the Huntsman and stuff. And I, I actually haven't even seen that one, but like that, that was like a thing for a while. And I, I don't think, there's any element of that here when some of this stuff gets really brutal. It's not taking a kid's story and making it like, oh, what if it was PG-13 or, or an R or, you know, there was a lot of fighting and stabbing and bleeding in it. No, by its very nature, this story of walking down the Pilgrim Road is going to be full of a lot of fighting, mm -hmm. a lot of killing, the killing of sin, um, a, a lot of... Uh, having to be on guard against uh, spies and saboteurs, against yeah. false brothers. It's all part of the story. And really, when you read um, Bunyan's deal, I'm surprised I haven't seen anywhere where, you know, on, on like, I think it's like A. Libris or whatever, one of these like public domain ebook uh, okay. deals. Like, I mean, when you buy DVDs of Sesame Street now, there's a like trigger warning at the beginning or like a disclaimer <laughs> that says like, hey, right. this is just for historical purposes. You know, it's not going to educate your kids. We blah, blah, blah. And I'm surprised you don't see that on, on Pilgrim's Progress. Like, listen, this is really going to be offensive to you. Mm. It's got people considering suicide. It's got people stabbing other people. It's, it's yeah. got, you know, all this. It, it's, it portrays 
um, everyone but this one group of people in a negative light. Like, I'm surprised we haven't bumped into that yet because the nature of the story is there is no shortage of adversaries who do want to stop a Christian from mm. getting to the celestial city. Yeah. That's, that's the reality. And so this, this one is a lot less of a, you know, this is like the battle of the, the wills, right? The battle of the wits. Mm. It's like when, uh, uh, that little that little inconceivable guy sat down with uh, with Wesley in, in the Princess Bride. Oh, you haven't seen the Princess Bride? No, buddy, you'd I love that. This one. You'd actually love it. Yeah, you'd actually love it. But uh, yeah, for them to sit down and uh, so so, did it go a little over the top at the end when they transformed <laughs> into swine and dogs? Is that a little? Is that a little on the on the pig nose? On the snout. A little, a little, a little on, on the, the snout. snout. Oh, that would have been a far yeah. funnier way to put it, yeah. Um, no, because again, I think that if we're taking this stuff seriously and we're trying to convey something horrifying, it should be expressed in a horrifying way. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know, why why just, you know, just have them, you know, you know just be regular people? It's horrifying. You know, you're, you're, you're taking someone who had more of a potential to be saved when he was on the narrow way, even though he didn't come through the right way, we've already kind of described how the cross seemingly meets you where you are, right? Um, or you can be brought back there supernaturally some somehow or some way. He was far better off with two genuine believers walking along the narrow way, talking about the celestial city, talking about the gospel, um, than he, I think, is sitting drunk amongst a brood of vipers on an offshoot of the narrow way, which genuine pilgrims are probably going to be weary of or should be weary of and not visiting very often. Um, it's now harder for him to, I think, hear the genuine gospel because these people are just going to pull him deeper into their debauchery. They're going to assure him of his beliefs. They're going to um, assure him of their own beliefs. And that new flame is going to be fanned by just the dulling of the senses in every conceivable way. I mean, he's he's pretty much already intoxicated, right? He's switched sides for the table. He's drinking heavily from what they're bringing him. And he's just allowing his mind to vapidly just absorb whatever they have to say. And that's going to be his reality for the rest of, you know, until judgment. Seemingly, until he dies. Well, these guys are dragging him to hell the next time we see yeah. we see them. It's so just, that's yeah. it. That's all you have. It's a horrifying image. It's it's, it's a scary image. Uh, if we take that image and we apply it to people that we love, mm. you know, um, um, and to people we think highly of, it no, it, having those people transform into you know all sorts of bestial creatures makes complete sense because that's what they are, right? Um, and if I if I take this and I you know apply my son to it. You put one of your children in it, you go, here they are just being lied to, poisoned, and arguments that I'm trying to get through aren't even reaching him anymore because he's so willing to be just influenced and like a, um, what, I just pushed this way and that by false Blown doctrines. every and, which way by every wind of doctrine. Yeah. yeah. Forget it. You know? Yeah. Um, uh Apostasy is hot right now, though. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's a that's, hot new thing. It is. Yeah, it, it's 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 got a so moment new. right now, right? Yeah. I mean, that is one way to get a huge following, uh -huh. especially if you're like a former big time uh, pastor or you know personality in the church or the son of one, mm. and you come out there swinging at it like, oh yeah, I was into that, and then I realized that is definitely a way to promote yourself. Mm. Uh, but my goodness, it's a sad and dangerous and and just awful thing. Yeah. You'd be better off never to have encountered these doctrines or to, to have rejected them out of hand. Yeah. You know, let's just play it for what it is. It's a tragedy. And tragedies are sad and dark and horrible. And I think that when we have stories like this, we can play them off as sad and dark and horrible. And because, like I said, that's what they are. I don't know. I think the next one's probably the most horrifying one, though. Really? Um, for me, because it's so real. The genuine workers for the gospel are so few. Yeah. And um, the teaming up and pushing up of false Christian teachers inside of the church is, like we just said, so common now. Yeah. Um, and then let's televise it. And let's push this stuff out. And let's, um, that's a horrifying, horrifying thing to think that there are, I, 
I don't think this is a wrong statement to say there are there are few people out there genuinely pastors out there genuinely contesting for their congregations like Mr. Unswerving right he's 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 the realest sense of a pastor there who actually has a heart for his congregation yeah i only have 30 people meeting with me but i want for nothing I'm completely satisfied. I get to preach the gospel and I'm excited yeah. about it. Yeah. I love to go um, visit my people. I yeah. love to proclaim the, the truth, to administer the sacraments. This is my life. Yeah. You, talk, uh, 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 you quoted Ryle earlier before he, you know, before he ends up eventually taking the promotion, he was in a small little town. He said that that was the best years of gospel ministry that he had because mm-hmm. he knew everyone there. He knew everyone's schedules there. People would call him to break up the fights between, you know, people <laughs> and things like that because he knew them so well. Um, and that felt like more genuine ministry to him because you know what that man needs versus what that man needs. This is, you know, you can pointedly put this in a sermon and it can impact this family here going through this problem. You can't do that in a church full of thousand, you know. If you're preaching three times on a, on a given Sunday and you have— 500 people there each time, how pointed is it going to be? Yeah. I'm not going to less of a church. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. And and especially with who he's talking to, which are people there for their own lusts. Yeah, these guys aren't even concerned with, no. like, growing the the congregation to look good. They just want their own, like, their own position. Perks. And their own, yeah. They're yeah, in it for the perks. Make a big deal out of me. I mean, yeah. I can't figure out who else this whole thing would be about mm-hmm. if it's not about me. Now, what's funny is I thought of this as kind of mostly uh, a, a comedic piece. Mm. And you think it's, it's the saddest. Obviously, there's a sad element to it. So several of these preachers Bunyan gives us, and some of them I invented, and I can't remember who's who, <laughs> honestly. And I know some of them, the church is referenced, for example, at Morality, but I named the church, and uh, and I, I know I, I know I came up with the United Church of Ease. Um, anyway, I, I thought it would be interesting just to bring all these guys together because they seemed like they'd be chums, chummy, and then you got to throw in a faithful minister, um, who Alex, I just based on myself. Okay, I'm kidding. I know, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. Well, no. But I mean. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> A humble pastor yeah. who's just really great at it. Just the tarts and, but, and milk. But humble. <laughs> just carrying tarts and milk all around. Tarts and milk that's everywhere. What, that, that's what you're known for around here. <laughs> they call me Mr. Tarts and Milk. Just Mr. Tart. Sweet tart and milk. <laughs> Sweet tart. <laughs> uh, um, no, but, but really, every pastor I've known has been this guy. Hmm. Who, uh, like, like my favorite pastors growing up and such, would be confused by this like, like you, you you read this and you go how does he not know that most of the ministers in kind of this world are self promoters and don't care so much about the gospel he doesn't because he's so pure he's so earnest mm. that he's almost a little naive you know like there's he's he's just completely confused and it takes him a while to get wait a minute you guys don't even preach the gospel mm. you don't even care about the gospel and like that kind of innocence I love like I'm so jaded about everything that I would not even I would maybe shown up at this just to like blog about it later. Ooh. Um I'm really the, the, these the guys blog. really are they're not yeah. anything like me. They're like like uh, the pastors that I like Ed Pikey, my pastor and and mentor in college and seminary, um who like yeah, he would have shown up at this and been like, "Oh, these are all good pastors." Okay. And it would have taken a while for him to be like, "Wait a minute. Why would you be a this pastor?" Isn't if yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I I love that idea. And then when he does recognize it, he just rebukes them. Well, I, yeah, I was going to say, there's that. And then when they, a little bit before this, when they talk about Christian, you know, and and how, now, now I'm obviously not a pastor, but I'd assume this would be kind of like a nightmare congregant, kind of. <laughs> someone who someone barely like that, makes yeah. a peep, right? He filled his pew each and every Lord's Day. Uh, he never once... Uh, was you know was he fined for missing service? And each week he shook my hand on his way out of the meeting house uh, with just you know just absentmindedly wonderful sermon, Parson. Never bothered me from Monday to Sunday. Never asked a single vexing question. It's just a body in a pew. It's like a robot. It, it there's there's no sense of any real growth there. There's no right. sense of any. He, the person's not wrestling with the scriptures at all. But probably you know, a tithe. Persons. 
sure, great. He's giving you money. <laughs> yes. You be know. quiet and tithe. And I think there are plenty of churches mm-hmm. where you would be a model congregant. Yeah. But I don't think for the only genuine pastor there. Oh, no. No, he wouldn't stand for that That's for a, a moment. Horrifying, yeah, no, he would, horrifying he would meet image. with him and say, listen, we need to talk about, you know, yeah. making some progress here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. What's going on? Like, why? Um, I, why aren't you singing? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? delving into the, you know, God, eventually you're going to run into something you have a question about. You should. I think if you're taking your Bible study seriously and things like that, that's what your pastor is there for. Right. But right? remember when he starts reading the Bible, his pastor kind yeah, of- immediately. Oh, no, <laughs> no, Looks no. down on him. People get yeah. obsessed with this book and- Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're- so, and yeah, I know that, that uh, the, the pastor in destruction never shows up, but I, he couldn't be anything but what I portrayed him as. Hmm. The rest of these guys are to some degree interchangeable, but I tried to make one of them like, um, I, I know a lot of pastors and I know mm-hmm. a lot of pastors who are borderline apostate pastors. Uh, and, and a lot of them have the booming preacher voice and that's kind of stands in for any kind of decent doctrine. Mm. And so I tried to have like the Mr. Uh, license be that guy. And then there's the guy who's like the hip young guy, you know, and they're, you know, workshopping their their slogan and everything. And, and they all can find common ground Hmm. and they all love to get together, eat their treats, drink their wine, talk about whatever, and call that an important part of ministry. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. This, this one is, uh, mostly, uh, just goofy until we get to the end. And yeah, he's finally basically says, this is the best thing that could happen right Hmm. now is for the world to break out of their complacency Stop being content to just sit in a pew for an hour a week mm. and start asking when destruction comes, what will become of me? Yeah. This is what we've always wanted in the church. We pray for these seasons of revival and now we've got one and you're all just whining about it. And the response is, I move that we expel him. We, we voted him in 10 minutes ago. I yeah. move that we expel yeah. him for life. Yeah, strike three. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And ban him. We're going to keep the treats. You can take your milk. Yeah. Get out of here. And like I said, I was feeling hopeful. And I thought, yeah. one of these guys could recognize the emptiness of of being a quote. I never I never understand why do people commit themselves so much to quote unquote religion that's just the same old stuff the world teaches. You could do anything else. It's so bizarre to me. And yet so many do. And for this guy from Vanity Fair. And, and I, I put a little Easter egg or a little foreshadowing at the, in the uh, second uh, vignette where Contrite turns to a, the, the minister and says, you should stop this. And he's mm. not like laughing or, or fighting. He's just kind of like, he's kind of white as a sheet and, and yeah. draws back. This has been bothering him. Uh, there's been a growing burden on his back and he and Mr. Unswerving are going to leave together and he's going to walk him back to the, the wicket gate. And now we've got someone who knows a lot of people in Vanity Fair and maybe can feed into that that revivalist spirit. Who knows? Yeah. Ends on kind of a hopeful note. Yeah. After the braining, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> After any braining, that's important. Right. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, gotta say something have a hopeful. Moment. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I try to say something hopeful immediately after. After braining someone. <laughs> It's hard work. You break a sweat. Sometimes it's hard to think of something positive to say. Oh, man. Now, here's the question. I've had so many people... Mm. And by so many, I mean probably not even quite a dozen. Uh, tell me, I- either on social media or via email, that their kids love Uh-oh. the podcast. I did put like a little warning before the the one the where wanton, wanton is, is very uh, kind of licentious and lascivious and, and all these L words. Uh, and then said I might with the one that involves the giant despair and, mm. and, uh, and I didn't, uh, I kind of forgot at this point though. I think, I don't I, I think the bar for, for what's so violent you have to warn people is probably lowered at least since I was a child. Certainly it's an odd thing. I don't know. What if, what I'm if looking do, for some guidance. What if you do like a fun <laughs> sound effect? Yeah. Every single time. Like birds. Yeah. Every single time, but that could just be in replace of braining. I think uh, that I think that sound effect was uh, a perfect combination of 
of grossness. Um, mm. You got, yeah, you got to, no, no more half measures, no more <laughs> glancing blows. This one's going right cook. straight into the skull. And hey, if people are offended by it, they don't have to listen to the next one. Mm. And if people have let their kids listen this long and that's what does it for them, I don't know. That seems kind of arbitrary. Sorry, children. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a youth pastor, I often would point 12-year-old, 13-year-old boys to the book of Judges because I knew it would it would rope them in. Mm. And that's far more violent and, and bizarre and kind of graphic than any of this stuff. So That, I guess, will do it for today. Uh, thank you for listening. Sorry for the delays. And we're going to try and keep on moving. And in the meantime, you keep on moving along the narrow way. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway a publishing ministry of good news publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, and silver. Gut, Jeff, Prince, 